0: If you like bacon, have I got a story for you. I'm Pastor Rob Miles, and welcome to the Ponder A New Podcast. And this season, we've returned to the book of Acts, and we're focusing on courage and the way in which faith is a living thing that, that challenges us and pushes us as we follow Christ out of our comfort zone, wherever and in whatever ways God calls us forward. This week, we're going to be uh, looking at Acts chapter 10, in which uh, Peter learns that it's okay to eat uh, bacon, but more importantly, learns that God has a far bigger plan than Peter even imagined, and most importantly, a far bigger heart real quick intro before we get into the actual words of Scripture. Last week we were looking at the story of Paul and Ananias, and Paul was on his way to Damascus, and that's because Christianity has moved out of Jerusalem. And uh, one of the early leaders in the church is a man named Peter. You might remember him from the Gospels. And Peter is sort of sent out from sort of the home base in Jerusalem to sort of see what's happening in these communities that are forming outside of Jerusalem. And it it turns into, it starts out with a dream and and just ends up on a whole journey that is ultimately going to show Peter how big God's heart is.
1: About noon the next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while it was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw the heaven opened and something like a large sheet coming down, being lowered to the ground by its four corners. In it were all kinds of four-footed creatures and reptiles and birds of the air. Then he heard a voice saying, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is profane or unclean. The voice said to him again, a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call profane. This happened three times, and the thing was suddenly taken up to heaven.
0: Peter is told here that certain foods are no longer off limits, and this will begin the movement away from kosher laws. When you hear about kosher laws, these ancient Jewish dietary practices, For instance, you can't eat pork. I think shellfish are also off-limits. There are certain things in terms of food preparation that are not allowed, like I think both meats and dairy shouldn't mix in the cooking process. There's a lot of stuff that, um, in our sort of Gentile eyes, seems kind of crazy. But I I want to... I think we should be a little bit more lenient towards our uh, ancient uh, Jewish or even modern Jewish uh, counterparts as well as uh, sort of these early Christians because I think food is still a pretty uptight matter. I think there's a lot of judgment around food and and what people eat and and what kind of food people eat. I remember once there was this... um, it was a magazine cover, and it was somehow talking, it was like almost 15 years ago, talking about Obama, and its point, it had two foods on, on the cover. One was like arugula, which is, a, those who don't know, a type of lettuce, and I think it had like a burger. And its point was more like the people that eat arugula tend to like Obama, and the people that eat uh, hamburgers don't tend to like Obama. It was just, a, again, a fascinating comment on um, the way in which food and class and finances kind of interlink and sort of how much, in fact, we who would critique and say, well, I can't believe these ancient Jews were so uptight about the food they ate and how they could think possibly that they were better than other humans because of what they were eating, how many hang-ups we would have in our own culture, and how many foods we would declare to be that's an unclean food, you know. You shouldn't eat that. Uh, and some of it, um, well, already I feel like I'm old enough that I've sort of seen fads, sort of diets kind of come and go that certain foods were bad and then they're good. Unfortunately, the only foods that always remain good, I think, are probably like you know, spinach and, and broccoli and Brussels sprouts or something like really kind of acidic green vegetables. <laughs> but again, all these foods that are one day bad and good. And so like, you know, for a while, skim milk was good, but now whole milk is good again. And so there's all this kind of change in food. And so maybe, again, the fact that Jews are just kind of stuck with the same regimen for, I don't know, 3,000 years is is maybe to be honored. But what what I just really want to get at here is the ways in which in our own culture we still have a lot of judgment attached to food and i think about how many people um, struggle to eat the food of their parents uh, after they've had like they've lived in another part of the country or maybe they've had a different kind of educational background or a different professional background how it's like, oh, mom and dad, how can you eat that food anymore, right? So, so I just want us to acknowledge sort of the own ways in which in our culture we have a lot of judgment uh, around food, around what we eat, and around what other people eat, and it, it creates all sorts of divisions, um, sometimes as obvious, again, as like Chick-fil-A, <laughs> um, but sometimes, again, um, you know, more, more subtle, again, along lines of class or politics Ways in which, again, in our families, um, yeah, all sorts of, uh, uh, of stuff that, that goes on and, and happens. So, okay, so maybe some reflection there on food and uh, judgment, but the story, again, is about more than food.
1: Now, while Peter was greatly puzzled about what to make of the vision that he had seen, suddenly the men sent by Cornelius appeared. They were asking for Simon's house and were standing by the gate. They called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Look, three men are searching for you. Now get up, go down, and go with them without hesitation, for I have sent them. So Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you are looking for. What is the reason for your coming? They answered, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So Peter invited them in and gave them lodging.
0: I want to focus right now on the person of Cornelius. Cornelius represents a kind of person we meet again and again in the book of Acts. And it's somebody who was drawn to Judaism. You think about the Roman Empire. It's an empire that the religion is a very polytheistic. There's all sorts of gods, local, and there's the traditional sort of Olympic pantheon that's been Romanized or or Latinized. You... um, and you also have an ethical system that tends to kind of be "do what you want" if as long as you have power. So a very sort of self-aggrandizing, very hedonistic, um, yeah, world of of Roman uh, temples in which there was all sorts of you know prostitution actually associated with temples. Uh, so just very, very different. You can't think of an opposite religion more than Judaism, sort of ethical monotheism. Ethical monotheism, like there's one God, and this God has a way that you're supposed to live, and that way of living really is one that is committed to justice and caring for others. But the problem for people like Cornelius is uh, that there's just such a tightly bound ethnic set of traditions, and even a sense of Tribalism to Judaism, at least historically, that many people like Cornelius they would be labeled as God-fearers in the New Testament. In other words, they they trusted the Lord. They might have even been praying to Yahweh, but they never felt like they could be Jewish, right? Because they weren't of that tribe. and And so, what happens then? is that the the early church presents this opportunity for people that were drawn to Judaism but were never fully embraced because they were always seen as other not members of the tribe to have access to ethical monotheism and in fact Paul's letter to the Romans really becomes a long extended argument about the work of God in Jesus Christ for our salvation but also really for the inclusion of Gentiles within the covenant, right? That that Paul is going to go to great theological lengths to justify why it is that even a Roman centurion like... Cornelius could be justified in God's sight, could be made right. So, Paul here expands the promises of the Old Testament, a God of mercy, and also the teachings of, of justice and care and concern for others. And he says, and, and um, he, he makes sure this, that this really isn't just for Jews, but this really is for, for all people following the, the Spirit's leading uh, in his and the life of the early church. And so Cornelius, again, represents this person who is drawn to ethical monotheism, um, but in Christianity allows him access to it. Cornelius demonstrates great courage, though. Because for Cornelius, there's almost nothing to gain socially by converting to or being curious or even associating with anything to do with Christianity. The whole Roman Empire sort of looks strangely upon the Jews because they're so dogmatic in their own assertions. And Roman religion is not dogmatic, right? Kind of, you have your own gods in your village; I have my gods in my village, and like, we're fine with that, right? So, you, it, Roman religion is anti-dogmatic, anti-moralistic. Um, it's it's all sort of about, um, yeah, again. There's a whole system of honor and, and pleasure, all sorts of stuff. But again, Cornelius here has has very little honor to gain by um, associating with somebody who was crucified by Pilate. And given that there's already this internal struggle within the Jewish community about whether Jesus is the Messiah, right, Paul's on his way to sort of imprison people, it, it doesn't seem likely that, that Cornelius has much to gain through his... Uh, acknowledgment and acceptance of of Jesus. So Cornelius here is motivated by a force beyond social recognition. And I think this is something that for us in the 21st century we can begin to lean into. Because in our okay like I'm thinking about when I grew up like in the 80s. Back then it was still sort of normative in America to be a member of a church, an active member of a church. Maybe not quite as intense as the 50s, but but still there and and so there was almost a reason why you would go to church to sort of meet other people, to have business connections and so forth. Nowadays, that just doesn't exist. Nobody's at the water cooler on Monday if even they still work, not virtually, sort of um, asking you know about what you learned at church on on a Sunday. So if we're going to become live as Christians. I think we live in a world where it's a little more like Cornelius in that we have less to gain socially through our recognition of Jesus as Lord. Okay, so that's just something for for to think about. Is um, do you perceive that there's a social benefit to being a Christian? If so, what is it? Um, and and do you do you think that when you talk to your friends about being a Christian, is this something they look at neutrally, positively, kind of? Curiously, I know that for me personally, when I, especially when I was living in New York City and I was thinking about becoming a, a pastor, I know some of my friends looked at me as if I had grown like a second head or like a third ear. It was like, why would you do that? Uh, so, so again, just curious about um, how other people have perceived your faith claims and whether you perceive there to be a social benefit to that within your, the area where you live.
1: The next day, he got up and went with them, and some of the believers from Joppa accompanied him. The following days, they came to Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. On Peter's arrival, Cornelius met him, and falling at his feet, worshipped him. But Peter made him get up, saying, Stand up, I am only a mortal. And as he talked with him, he went in and found that many had assembled, And he said to them, You yourselves know that it is unlawful for a Jew to associate with or to visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone profane or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. Now may I ask why you sent for me?
0: The enormity of what happens here is hard for us to understand. Because it just sounds like a story of Peter going into Cornelius' house. But something bigger is happening here. Peter has never been inside of a Gentile house. Again, Peter has never once stepped foot in his whole entire life in the house of a non-Jewish person. This is a big deal. He, in fact, he, he even says to them, you know it's not lawful for me. I mean, Peter here totally puts his foot in his mouth. He's trying to be polite. He's trying to be respectful, right, to this Roman centurion who could have him arrested or worse. And he says, well, you know, I really sh- shouldn't be here. I'm not, it's not really morally permissible for me and my God's side for me to be around you and in your house. But I, what God told me not to call unclean, I won't, which is a way of backhanded saying, but you're really unclean in my eyes. I mean, this is Peter trying to be polite. It's so terrible. But I don't really want to judge Peter here. I just want to acknowledge that this is a huge boundary for Peter. And the story starts out with this dream that Peter's learning you know, about foods being clean and unclean, and really in God's sight, they're all fine. But what's really going to happen here is that Peter's going to have to learn a deeper lesson, and that is that the, the people that he had been trained to view as unclean are okay. And in fact, this is the work of God and Jesus Christ to to make them clean, to make all people clean, acceptable, okay to be in God's presence and um, even loved by God. I think it's easy for us to, uh, if we can even understand Peter, to judge Peter and to be like, Peter, how could you possibly think like that about other people? But we know in our world that we still have all sorts of boundaries about who's clean and unclean, often correlated with food, or maybe in our modern society about vaccines or masks or political votes, or what kind of neighborhood you live in, what schools you go to, how you vote, and all sorts of, of things that we do, that we put up all sorts of boundaries by, by color, by you know by race, by uh, orientation, I, I could the list goes on and on of the ways in which we divide people and mark ourselves as clean and others as unclean, or even at some points consider ourselves to be unclean and and so to get at just that raw emotional sense of Peter here, it's like the the time in your life when when you went someplace that was just so fundamentally different. And not just different, but different in a way where you had a sense you just shouldn't be there and even thought that the people there were dirty, unclean. And that's a really embarrassing thing to admit that you've maybe had an experience like that. and Maybe you haven't in your life. Maybe you're fortunate enough. But again, maybe you've been in a place in a different kind of ethnic neighborhood, maybe a homeless shelter, maybe a drug house, maybe just somewhere you a bar, a club, somewhere in your life where you've been where you just had this sense that the people here are dirty. It's painful to admit. But I want to acknowledge that I think these boundaries still exist in our world today. And I ask you, what boundaries do you see where people start to view the other as an unclean person? And so Peter here also shows real courage in going to Cornelius for... um, Again, Peter's doing something he's never done before. He's going into the house of a non-Jew. He's, he's smelling bacon, <laughs> you know, cooking. He's, uh, you know, looking at the wall and who knows what, what other practices there. He's seeing people that he knows were in armies that have oppressed and taxed his own people. Like everything is saying he shouldn't be there Yet the Spirit is pushing him forth. And that's what the church felt, this sense of the Spirit. It wasn't their own inclination. It wasn't sort of their diversity training courses. It was simply the Spirit moving out and, and showing them that, that God loved all people. For, again, the Spirit shows up on, the, on Cornelius and the others, and they, and they have this ecstatic experience. And Peter later has to confess, wow, the Lord is present here. The church is going to become the most diverse institution on the planet, and it's not because the Galilean Jews who started it were intrinsically pro sort of uh, other world religions or other people. They had just as many biases and prejudices as anybody, but the Spirit pushes them, and so it's it's a worthy reflection on um not just food but. But people, and and who are the people who, in in your life, you consider to be unclean, dare we say it? And and how might God be pushing you to see, like Peter, saw God at work in their life and acknowledge that? Or even simply to be in their presence? Mm. Much of life is designed, the way we live it, to sort of reduce the interactions we have with people we consider, quote, unclean. But again, how might God be pushing you, the church you're a part of, the community you're in, to, to embrace the other and, and to see God at work in the lives of other people? So this, is, uh, this week, it seems like the text in, in Acts 10 is all about, at first, bacon and food and pork. And in some ways, it is about boundaries and, and clean and unclean, but it, it ultimately goes down to people. And how people like Cornelius, who were hungry for God but somehow weren't able to access God prior to Jesus, now have found a way. And, and who in our lives and who in our communities and who in, in our hearts um, finds themselves, either by the world, by you, by me, by somebody else, to feel unworthy, to feel unclean. And how might we be then and called by the Spirit to, to reach out and to uh, stand in their presence and, and discover how God is at work in their lives.